This is Jen Kelly from In Black and White, here to ask a favour. If you enjoy this podcast, there's one easy way you can help us get the word out to more listeners. Simply give a rating for our podcast, and even better, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. In Black and White is brought to you by subscribers of The Herald Sun. Our subscribers get access to the full Herald Sun website, including companion articles and photographs to this podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, click on heraldsun.com.au forward slash I-B-A-W to go to the new In Black and White page and click on any article to begin. And he knelt as he left the church and wrote on the footpath the word eternity. People saw the eternity all over town. They didn't know who did it because he used to go out early in the morning to do this. It gave Arthur something new to strive for, maybe. Perhaps that was part of it, to get him away from the horrible life that he'd been caught in. He reckoned he wrote it half a million times, going through a couple of boxes of uh, yellow chalk every day, waterproof chalk. I'm Jen Kelly, and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Today we're back for part three of our four-part series with Chris Adams, who is the co-author alongside Helen Goltz of the Grave Tales series of books. For more than 35 years, a mysterious character named Arthur Stace scrawled one word, eternity, across Sydney hundreds of thousands of times in the dead of night. It was always that one word written in yellow chalk in perfect copper plate writing, even though Arthur Stace was virtually illiterate. He worked under the cover of darkness, and for decades his identity remained a mystery, so he was dubbed Mr Eternity. Arthur Stace was a reformed drunk who suffered a horrific, violent childhood, but underwent a radical transformation in 1930 when he heard a sermon from a charismatic preacher. The word eternity in Arthur Stace's distinctive script is now iconic in Sydney. It featured on the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the 2000 New Year's Eve fireworks, as well as the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympics. Chris Adams is here to tell us more. Welcome back to the podcast for number three, Chris. Thank you, Jen. So today we're talking about a fellow called Mr Eternity, Arthur Stace. Why was he nicknamed Mr Eternity? Well, he was nicknamed Mr Eternity because he spent half his adult life travelling the streets of the city in which he was born and writing one word in yellow chalk on its footpaths, roads, walls, anywhere he could find a spot, really. And that word was Eternity, uh, written in this beautiful, flowing, copper plate style. Uh, This was a bloke who couldn't write his own name. Did anyone ever see him? Did anyone know who was doing it? I guess he may have been seen from time to time, but I mean, he essentially used to go out in the early hours of the morning before the city was awake to leave his mark in various places. Uh, that was why outside railway stations was particularly popular, because lots of people would pass by and see his yellow eternity. And as we tell his story, I guess we'll find out why he used the word eternity and what he was hoping to achieve. But I'd love it if you could take us back to the story of his his early life. He had a pretty horrendous childhood, didn't he? Yeah, he did, Jen. Um, Arthur Malcolm Stace, his full name, he grew up in abject poverty in the inner city suburb of Redfern. He was beaten badly by both his uh, parents when he was a child. They were both alcoholics. Every penny they could get their hands on went on grog, so much so that he slept under the house uh, rather than in it um, and survived by scavenging for food and from rubbish bins, stealing neighbours' bread and milk um, after it was delivered in the early hours of the morning. So this was the life which 
young Arthur found himself in. By the time he was 12, uh, by his own recollections, he was a ward of the state, placed under the protection of a legal guardian, worked in a coal mine for two years of his life, and had been jailed for drunkenness. And this is, you know, at age 12. So it gives you some idea uh, of what life was like for him. He had two brothers and two sisters. He claimed that both his sisters were prostitutes. Both his brothers died hopeless, derelict drunks. As a teenager, he acted as a cockatoo or a lookout for the brothels in which uh, his sisters either owned or worked. Now, despite this terrible start to life, he actually went and served in World War One. He did. Uh, he signed up in 1916. World War One was raging across Europe, and in February, what would become the longest battle of the conflict, uh, Verdun, happened. Maybe that was part of what um, Arthur heard about that uh, inspired him to enlist. Uh, maybe it was just a chance of a better life as well, because I mean, he, he had a, ho- a horrible life where he was. Mm, how did he go in the war? He didn't go too well. He ended up as part of the 16th reinforcement of the 19th Battalion AOF, uh, arrived in um, France just after Christmas 1916. He was only there for three months as a stretcher bearer. By April of 1917, he was a casualty at a casualty clearing station. He had bronchitis. They left him then to serve in a couple of AOF depots in the United Kingdom until he was sent home, and that was Arthur Stace's war. Um, he was discharged medically unfit back in Australia in May of 1919. Within a few days, it was the same old story, drunk, broken, out of work. So he was living on the streets, I guess? He was. He had a small pension for, uh, you know, for what they called shell shock after the war, but life was still pretty ordinary for Arthur. Uh, well in the grip of the grog, unemployed and, uh, and not well as well. When did he really hit rock bottom, do you think? Uh, probably about 1930, and again, you know, we're, we're coming into the Depression, and uh, that wouldn't have made life any easy for him either. Now, this must be where he met an interesting figure called Robert Hammond. Yeah, he's a, an interesting bloke. He, he was uh, an Anglican minister uh, from Victoria. He'd moved to Sydney after carving out a reputation in this cu- curious phrase that referred to muscular Christianity. Uh, He won respect, apparently, by showing willingness to step into the shoes of average folks doing it hard. It even meant that he worked out a mine for three months. And apparently, down in the uh, Gippsland area, uh, where he was working, he had a reputation for having the best right fist in town. (laughs) Now, as well as being an Anglican (laughs) minister and a charismatic preacher, we should mention that he also played for Essendon. He did, in the uh, grand final side uh, of 1897. So he knew his way around a footy field as well. (laughs) And so tell us about this reputation he had for being a mender of broken men. This came about when he moved to uh, Sydney and he established some homes, again, this being in the Depression, called Hammond Hotels was kind of their nickname. They were accommodation, overnight accommodation for homeless men. By 1933, he had eight of them. Every night they accommodated more than 350 homeless men. It was 1930 that Arthur first encountered him. Uh, He heard him speak at um, St Barnabas Church in Broadway uh, in Sydney where he was, uh, that is, uh, Hammond was the minister in charge. He'd established the uh, Brotherhood of Christian Men. They had meetings on a Wednesday night and one of these meetings uh, was attended by Arthur one night amongst 300 other men that were there. That night Arthur gave up the grog forever. He embraced Christianity and from then on he spent most of his time helping uh, the down and out around Sydney, leading open-air meetings, visiting patients at Callan Park Mental Hospital, 
he made an interesting comment. Uh, it was a St Barnabas where he heard Hammond speak. And of the, um, of the St Barnabas experience, he said, I went in for a rock cake and I came out with a rock of ages. <laughs> now, that's a pretty remarkable turnaround in Arthur Stace's life. I wonder what on earth Robert Hammond said to inspire that. Yeah, I don't know uh, the actual words, but certainly um, whatever it was, it, it gave Arthur something new to strive for, maybe. Perhaps that was part of it, to get him away from the horrible life that he'd been caught in. So when did the word eternity come to hold great meaning for Arthur? It was a couple of years later, in November of 1932, when Arthur heard a visiting Baptist minister by the name of John Ridley talk on the theme of eternity. Ridley nearly lost his own life as a young soldier at the Battle of Polygon Wood in Belgium during World War I and was awarded a military cross as a result. He came, became a preacher when he came back to Australia. He said to Arthur, he didn't say to Arthur, he said to the men... Uh, who were there, of whom Arthur was amongst. Eternity, eternity, I wish that I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? Um, And apparently, young Arthur was, not so young Arthur by now, was um, so inspired by Ridley's sermon, he had a piece of chalk in his pocket and he knelt as he left the church and wrote on the footpath the word eternity. And that was the beginning of him spending years writing that one word on the street. Yeah, even though he was almost illiterate and struggled to write his own name, the word eternity came out smoothly in that beautiful copper plate script every time he did it. He said um, he couldn't understand it and he still couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Did he do it to sort of make people stop and think? Yeah, he did. Uh, That was precisely what he did, to make people stop and think about eternity and, as Ridley had said, um, where they were going to... uh, to spend it. People saw the eternity all over town. They didn't know who did it because he used to go out early in the morning to do this. And so uh, he became Mr. Eternity to Sydney siders whose imaginations had been captured by this. Did he ever write anything else or was it always just Eternity? He had a, go- a couple of goes um, at other things. He wrote Eternity for about 10 years. Then he decided he'd try Obey God and then God or Sin but he said it just wasn't the same. And anyway, he just couldn't bring himself to stop writing eternity. After all, as he said, eternity makes him think. (laughs) (laughs) So how many times over the years do you think he wrote it? Did he ever estimate? He reckoned he he wrote eternity about a half a million times and he was going through a couple of boxes of waterproof yellow chalk every day when when he was at his peak. Um, He had his favourite surfaces to work on. He loved the black footpaths up around King's Cross, but wasn't so keen on the concrete pavements that he reckoned couldn't take it. (laughs) Uh, So he he was quite a character. He had a couple of run-ins with the Sydney Council, which reported him to the police more than 20 times for, I guess, graffiti. Every time the police turned up, Arthur said uh, he had permission from a higher source (laughs) and he was never charged once. Do we know much about his personal life, whether he was married and whether he had a sort of a nine-to-five job as well? Yeah, he um, he had a number of jobs, most of them associated with churches. He was the cleaner uh, at the Baptist Tabernacle in, in Sydney, you know, jobs of that sort of nature. In 1942, yeah, uh, 12 years after his transformation, he married Ellen Esther Dawson, who was known as Pearl, at St Barnabas' Church. He described himself as that time, job-wise, as a missioner. He would get up every morning, this was his mission, uh, and go into town uh, before the city woke up and uh, write that word all over the place. As I said, he reckoned he wrote it half a million times, going through a couple of boxes of uh, yellow chalk every day, waterproof chalk. 
he had his favourite surfaces. He loved the footpaths up around King's Cross because they were black and they really took the chalk well. Um, but he didn't like the concrete pavements that he reckoned couldn't take it. So what happened to him in the end, Chris? Well, he lost his, uh, his, his partner in life, Pearl, in 1961, and he moved to Hammondville, which was a place... We heard Hammond's name previously. He was the preacher who got him off the alcohol and onto the eternity path so many years before. It was there at Hammondville that Arthur died of a stroke in July of 1967. Um, He bequeathed his body to the University of Sydney and was buried with Pearl in October of 1969, two years after he died. You may remember, if you were watching television at the turn of the millennium, the New Year's Eve 2000 celebrations in Sydney, the word eternity emerged uh, up on the side of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and what a sight it was. And that was purely as a, a mark of respect, I guess, for Arthur. And because so many people had seen it over the years, um, that it, was, it just seemed fitting to, to put it there at that time. Uh, if only Arthur had been there to see it. Mm. Now, are there any examples of his handiwork that survived to this day? There are only two that I know of. One is in the National Museum of Australia. When Arthur was the cleaner at the Baptist Tabernacle, a lady called Thelma Dodds asked him if he would sign one for her on a piece of cardboard, do an eternity on a piece of cardboard for her. She ended up giving it to the minister of the church, a bloke called Stan Levitt. It went to Woi Woi, where he retired to for a couple of years, and then ended up in the uh, Australian Museum in the year 2000. And that's where it is today? Yeah, there's still one there, apparently. The only other one is a bit like Arthur, something of a mystery. When uh, World War II broke out, they took down the post office clock in Sydney from the tower, afraid it would be damaged by any action that might happen in the town. And while it was down, it was sealed up. And it wasn't until it was unwrapped after the war in preparation for reinstallation that the blokes who took it uh, took the, the, the tape off it noticed the word eternity was chalked on the inside of the bill. Mm. So no one knows how Arthur got it there. The only other one, of course, is the replica that's on the end of Pearl and Arthur's grave. Okay. So where is the grave? It's in the Eastern Suburbs Memorial Park, which is in, uh, in Matraville. To find his grave, go into the cemetery from the military road end, drive along Cemetery Avenue, about 250 metres, and turn right into Hamilton Avenue, come to Finney Avenue on your left, turn into it and travel about 50 metres and Arthur and Pearl's grave is in an area dominated by Greek graves. Um, so take the path right beside the Gen 15 sign and walk down the hill until you see a Presbyterian A sign. Arthur and Pearl are in the fourth row down on the other side of the path to the sign. At the foot of their grave, and you can't miss it, um, is the word eternity. This feels like it's a real story of transformation, a story about it doesn't really matter where you come from in life, it is possible to make good in the end. Is that how you see it? Yeah, it's one of my favourite stories that we've ever done, simply because he was a bloke who had such such hardship in in childhood. Uh, I mean, no kid should ever have to live like that. He tried to fight his way out of it. He couldn't. And he was, I mean, if he hadn't found Hammond, uh, he was probably only going to live a couple more years the way he was living, on the streets, no proper food. All he cared about getting was grog. Um, and, and there were so many blokes on the road like that uh, in the Depression around Australia. Um, and Hammond obviously made this his mission uh, to bring these, uh, these people you know, to somewhere where they could get some comfort, some decent living conditions. And as a result of that, I think the area where um, Arthur went to Hammondville is actually now a suburb.
Do you think Arthur had a real sort of sense of joy and comfort from what he was doing every day by riding this word on the footpath? You certainly get that feeling from the things he said, like talking about one particular type of footpath that just couldn't take it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, using the word eternity rather than something else because it makes them think, you know. (laughs) you You can see him saying those things. What was the reaction of Sydney siders? Do you think it ever did it ever fulfil his intention, perhaps, of converting anyone to Christianity, for example? I don't know. I mean, I've never had anybody put their hand up and say, you know, I now go to church because of Arthur. But I've I've spent lots of time talking to people who actually saw the sign, and will relate to you in detail uh, exactly where it was and the circumstances under which they happened to notice it. Uh, so it, it's it's still creating conversation, uh, if you like. So, so I sort of get the sense from talking to people who lived in Sydney in the in the up to the sixties that they had this real sense of joy from finding that word on the footpath. It was like a, a real find. It was a bit of excitement to see that word, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it would be a buzz, wouldn't it? I mean, getting up, uh, making your way to work, perhaps not feeling like you want to go, heading towards the train station, and there it is on the wall, eternity. You know, and and it just changes the mood, uh, which is what it does for me. I mean, it, you, you get kind of close to a lot of the characters characters that you write about uh, in books like this, and Arthur's one of my favourites. So location-wise, he did footpaths and walls, is that right? Footpaths, walls, anywhere really where he could, um, he could you know, write it. Stations were particularly popular on the, the station building, on the council footpaths, which is why they had to guard him a few times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just anywhere he could get it. And because it was yellow, it really stood out. Well, thanks again for coming in to share one of your favourite stories, Chris. Pleasure, Jen. And if you want to learn more, you'll find a link to a story and photos of Mr Eternity in the show notes. This story is from the Sydney Volume 1 edition of the Grave Tales series of books and the latest book, Grave Tales Melbourne, is due out in May. You can get the books from bookshops or at gravetales.com.au and search for Grave Tales Australia on your podcast app to listen to more great stories from the books as told by Chris and Helen. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters, written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, produced by John T. Burton and Al Tynan, and edited by Andrea Thies-Evanson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on whatever platform you're listening on. And to get notified when each new episode comes out, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt, and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free, and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth, and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.